Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. A lot laughing going on in the Zilla Valley. It's a wonderful, beautiful valley. And Kelly Farina knows it very well. He kind of made that his home, which he's moved down to Bassano right now. But I've got two monkeys in front of me, which are really funny characters. Uh, they are going to amuse us with some great stories today. And we have in the form of Thomas Walder and Stefan Gruber, two very well-known guys in the flying community, very respected pilots. Uh, guys who have been flying for a very long time. And I want to say hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast. Servus. Servus. Yeah, servus. Hello. Good. No, hello. Great, Tom. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, uh, in advance, excuse these two guys because they live quite deep in the end of a very deep Austrian valley. And anything happens in these deep valleys. Tell us what happens as you go into the very deep valley. Then the farmers starting looking more interested in the animals and all that kind of thing. Hey, eh, guys? You can describe farmers uh, when you go really deep in the valley. So into the end, the farmers come with the something dangerous. They, really, they can get really angry if you land in the fields of them. Oh really? Huh? Oh, uh, uh, can't be that your glider is after that not uh, flyable anymore. Really? If you are uh, unlucky. So why are they so grumpy? Do you think they have no contact to the outside world or? Ah, they 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 live from uh, they live from uh, the fields and and these things and they and they think if you land there it's it's a very big thing for them. Since you have started uh, chatting, uh, Thomas Valde will start the podcast on your side. Thomas Valde, anyone who doesn't know him, he has the claim to fame of having uh, big big cross countries. His uh, his party trick is to go out and to try and fly as big as possible. His three hundred and twenty five kilometer FAI triangle was uh, the longest for uh, for. Um, for a very long time, that record held. He describes himself as a passionate cross-country pilot. That's more his thing. Flying competitions from 1999 to 2006, everything from PWCs to Austrian League, where he was Austrian champion. Now he describes himself as unemployed. He says, super, I'm unemployed because I'm normally a tandem pilot and he studied bricklaying. So he is a guy who's a little bit on the building site, a little bit tandem flying and overall he is passionate about getting his glider up and flying far and doing big triangles. And that's what we're going to ask Tom about today, mostly. We're going to also ask him about his worst glider he's ever flown. Thomas, tell me, what's it like to live in the Zilla Valley? Do you like it there? It's, I think it's, it's one of the best places where you can live. It's uh, safe, it's clean. Uh, you can get always a job if you want to work. And people come here for holidays, so it must be good. In August, it's pretty crazy, the traffic coming in and out of the Zilla Valley. Uh, how many? Uh, from be beginning from June on uh, to end of October, it's, uh, it's not easy to come inside if you don't know the ways. Okay. So you the guys right have got some back roads. You don't even use the main road, which gets clogged full of cars yeah. because there's exactly. really main one. You use the small mountain roads. Exactly. And uh, we, we, try, we try to don't drive too much. Yeah. We make our ways more in the air. Absolutely. 
So you have how many different uh, takeoff sites that you use uh, to fly these big cross countries? Do you mainly only use one or do you have an alternative? Uh, in the, like in June or from the middle of May on, we, we start mainly on the, on the high streets, Melchboden, which is just five uh, k's from my house away. And in springtime, we use sometimes a spot. It's a little bit on the side. It's five kilometers more outside the valley. Uh, there you can start a bit lower. So if we have too much snow on there, we can also start there. It's around 1,800 meters, the start area. The high street is 200 meters higher, but it's in the beginning of the season, it's often uh, too much snow up there. So it's two main spots where we go. And typically, what time would you get up there? You don't hike and fly up to your uh, good spots. You take a lift up every time? No, uh, we go up with the car. So my father, my mother... There was a time where I was nearly alone with, with distance flying, so there was no, uh, not much other people who, who had the time to go fly when, when the good weather was. My father, my mother, I'm happy about it. My wife as well, bring me up around, uh, I try to be up there at 8 o'clock, then I set up my glider and starting time is on the, on the good days, I try to start around 9 o'clock, so... Sometimes a bit before, sometimes a bit after. But, uh, you know, sometimes stressful to get everything prepared on a good day because you know you should be already there, but things happen and it takes longer. And then. How long typically would you fly on these flights? What do you aim for? Uh, how do you plan? Uh, explain a little bit about how you go about making your big cross countries. My plan is so it's, it's anyway, uh, it's, I, I this triangle I made already in 2008, the first time, and I tried to make it always a bit bigger. I don't have to plan this flight so much because I know the waypoints uh, where you have to go. But before the time when I was planning it, it was uh, more not on the computer like now. I had a big uh, lens, landscape or something. <laughs> the, I was there with a big ruler and I tried to get the triangle and from this time on I know exactly because I was looking on the card I know nearly everything so I don't need to plan this flight because I know where, where I have to go I try always to start so as soon as possible also when I know it's 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 not so good to fly faster or so but if it's but if it would possible to start at half past eight I would start at half past eight and I, I start the flight slower or also if i have to to turn around 15 minutes 20 minutes over the or under the takeoff place i like to be in the air and for me it doesn't matter if i fly 12 hours or 13 hours or 10 hours i like to be in the air and uh, when a good if i have a good day if i know it i try to start as soon as possible i wait in the air and then when the right time comes i, I start my flight i try to stay up how many times would you honestly say you bomb out when you are trying to do such a big cross country? How many times would you say you've disappointed yourself? Uh, what percentage of the time is it? What is, what, is it uh, what is a bomb out for you? Is it bomb out if you bomb out after 260k, so, or is the bomb out if you start after the start? Or when is the exactly. bomb out? Yeah, exactly. So I think you're kind of happy if you've made 260k's and you were planning to do 300k's. Is that good for you? Are you more disappointed when you do such a long flight and you bum out? I see Stefan Gruber's got a big smile on his face. There's something he knows that he doesn't know that he doesn't want to say. I don't know. I must say, if, if I want, if I plan a big flight, 
300 k's or so, and I, I land after 260 because the day is ending. It's not a bomb out, it's the day's end. A bomb out for me is if you start from the high street at 9 o'clock and you land at half past 10 down at the Pukastube to drink a beer, that's the bomb out. Or also if, if, you, if you have to land up in the first, yeah, I would say 150, 160 k's. I had one time, it was just one time where I have a bomb out. It was after 130 or 140 k's. It was a really beautiful day. Really good, I start. It was 2008, you can remember. I started uh, at that time a bit uh, not so early. So it was like 10 o'clock. And I was flying to the glacier outside of the uh, Wild Empire. Then I was flying to the Rauri Satal. And on the way to the Rauri Satal, it was everything perfect. It was really good. Uh, how it can happen, I don't know, but it happened. And I was flying over Saalbach, Hinterglen, and there I was flying on the south side to Zellamsee and Hunstein. To this, I was just thinking with three meters in a second, four meters, three meters. I was quite high over the edge, so like three, four hundred meters. And I was flying, 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 always thinking three, four meters. And I said, I'm on the south side. I don't change the side to the to the to the north side at this valley and I was thinking, thinking and then I thought I was coming then underneath the edge. I thought, yeah, now I get a leaf there, it's good. And I have to come because I'm on the right side and there was not much wind at all. And I was flying and I was three, four meters down and, and my, my opinion is that I get uh, worried about landing. It's around 150 meters over the valley then before I, I don't think that I can land because mm -hmm. Often, and then I was thinking, ah, scheiße, I'm now nearly down in a small valley. I have to change now the side, and it was uh, I was flying over the over the middle of the valley, and I had just hundred meters over the over the valley, and I thought, oh, now it can't be that I have to go down the landing there. <laughs> scheiße, how can it happen on the, on the perfect day like that? And I was flying to the other side, and there was then fifty meters over the ground on the other side, and it was beep beep beep. Beep, beep. But it was I was too low over the trees and I had to go landing and I thought if I make that hundred meters higher it would be easy I can continue my flight but uh, that was a really bomb out and I was really not happy about it <clears throat> because it's yeah it was a perfect day and at uh, two o'clock you stand down and the cloud base is up on three thousand five hundred and, and you don't and everything is blue a lot of sun you don't know how can happen that I know well, a second bomb out no yeah I know a second bomb out uh, and this is a really good one yeah it was uh, at the beginning of my competition time but it was not with long distance flying it was that was a competition and we were in Selamsee and it's a big competition so there are one hundred twenty pilots flying. And it was quite good conditions at the beginning, but then it got a little bit weak. And we were firming really near to the mountains. And we are just a little bit under the edge of, the, of this mountain. And Tom was just below me and I was firming. And I was always thinking, what the hell is he doing? He's firming so near to the ground. <laughs> and he's getting nearer and nearer and nearer. And suddenly, I saw him going out of his pot of the harness and running on the mountain. 
And then I was thinking, what the hell? He can run so fast and maybe continue the flight, but suddenly, booms. <laughs> he was lying on the ground at this big mountain. <laughs> that was really funny. That was for me. I, I like to fly really close. That's my. That's a little problem of me, maybe. And it was like that. It was a bit of north wind at this day, so it was a little bit on the in the, on the lee side, maybe from the from the mountains. And I was flying, and I, I didn't was uh, don't make thermaling. I just was gliding uh, near the ridge, and there was a little like an edge cut down. And I was flying over this edge, and and at that time I get it downwind. So I had I think I don't come over this edge. I was directly on the edge. Was le left and right side was going down like that. I was thinking, I thought, yeah, now I have to fly 90 degrees away from this edge because it's just pulling me down. And I was flying away from the mountain. The mountain was not not flat like that. It was a mountain like that. And I was, oh, no, coming always near. I have to go down to my pot. And then I was coming on the ground and I was starting to run straight 90 degrees away from the mountain, full, full gas. There was like Speedy Gonzalez, <laughs> but the glider was uh, taking over me, and it was, and it was so fast. I was then I fall, slept like three, four meters down, like that, and I thought we're falling down. Yeah, what is happened now? What happened now? Hundred pilots was over me, <laughs> turning, <laughs> smiling, laughing. Shouting. Very funny. But uh, two minutes after that, the wind was. From the other side again, so I started again, but they canceled my flight oh. after that because it's not allowed. Oh. I understand <laughs> that. Uh, thank you, Alex Alba. <laughs> <laughs> if 100 pilots see you landing there and then you take off again, it doesn't really count, even if your track log has kind of just for a moment or two. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I, I realized it after that as well. <laughs> but we you tried know what I'm to get counted. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> what I like the most about that story is that both Stefan and I had big smiles on our face when you were telling it, and you were telling it in such a serious way, like it was really the end of your life. <laughs> so let's talk about Stefan Gruber. You are also um, been flying a lot of uh, PwC and World Cups um, in your time. You've won several tasks. You've been in the Austrian League for many years. You started flying in 2005, and in 2010, you joined the Skywalk uh, test team. You are, out of three pilots, Alex, Mario, Ida, and yourself, responsible for designing all the Skywalk gliders. I've owned a good few of these Skywalk gliders. My last ones were the Joint uh, 3, and uh, I had a couple of them, and I had the Cayenne uh, 4, actually, which I really, really liked. Yesterday, when I chatted to you to prepare for this podcast, you were uh, testing the Cayenne 6. Uh, which uh, should be very, very exciting for the whole flying world. Tell us what it's like to work for for Skywalk. Tell us what the business is. You mentioned that there are 50 people who work in Skywalk just in Europe. Skywalk is, of course, also producing kites, really respected kites in both the Ram Air uh, system kites and in the inflatable kites. I tried your latest one. You have a second version of the inflatable kites a few weeks ago in Cape Town. It was really, really nice. So your product is manufactured in Thailand and in Vietnam. Tell us more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, working for Skywalk, it's a really nice job. So 
sometimes it's a little bit better and sometimes it's a little bit worse. So like every job, when, when the weather is fine and you have just perfect conditions and the wing is quite near to the end, it's really nice to do this job. But also sometimes it's winter time, it's really freezing, you're standing uh, up at the ski resort trying to start at backwind and try to go out to make some maneuvers. It's not that funny, so it's always depending. But all in all, it's a really interesting job. It's always different, so it's never this, not every day is the same. It's always changing something, so I, I like it really. We also have a nice team. We also make uh, photo shoots and stuff like this, as we did also in Porterville. That's really cool. You come around, you met some nice people, you talk to everybody, you sometimes uh, talk to them how they think about your wings. And yeah, it's really nice. I like it. So now at the moment, we are working on the Cayenne 6. It's top secret, but we get certification for S and them yesterday. So now we start main production and the other size is at the certification. So it just needs some, some days or some weeks. So we have five sizes ready. Yeah, the Cayenne is a really big win for us because the Cayenne was always a big success. And so we are really working hard on types like this because these are our main wings. And I think it's from the Cayenne 5, we just make it a little bit more calm. It's a little bit easier to fly. It's easier for you to get out the performance. We have some changes on our main risers and I think people will like it. It's a little bit more relaxed to fly with a little bit more performance. But yeah, I think it's, it should also be a big success because it's a really wing in the C class for everybody. It's not that demanding, but it says good performance. Yeah, it's so in for everybody. So Skywalk have pretty much one glider in each category, except for the lower categories. Is that right? Huh? You test all the gliders across the range? Yeah. So also we are we are free guys. We have different weights. So everybody testing his weight range. Always you have a little bit. Where uh, every glider, every range of the glider get tested by different pilots. So it's always a little bit. You guys are, of course, uh, each of you uh, having a discussion because three of you designing gliders means that there has to. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that's always, <laughs> always, uh, sometimes a little bit hard because, yeah, everybody fly, have a little bit different flying feel uh, everybody feels a little bit different so everybody feels a little bit different and so sometimes we have big discussions about this is it good or is it bad or is the tip too sensible or is it too easy to collapse and stuff like this so sometimes there are big discussions uh, between us and it's also not that easy sometimes but in the end uh, yeah in the end it's always uh, it's work so not every time everybody has the same thinking about the same thing, but yeah. You're a team, and as long as you guys are getting along at the end of the day, uh, you don't have to make uh, some kind of political agenda because of this or that or whatever. You can just keep it as work, and that's yeah. the bottom line, to produce great gliders. I mean, there's enough competition mm -hmm. on the market, and Skywalk are producing very, very nice gliders. Of course, every single glider manufacturer has had some kind of hiccups in their past, 
Peter Ricek, who's the sole designer and owner of MacPera, was on one of my pod- podcasts from MacPera, and he's having one kind of thinking. I spoke to Torsten Siegel. He, he is telling me the kind of thinking that comes from gin. And Russell Ogden also tells me something different that comes from Ozone and obviously something different from Skywalk. And I say, fortunately, we are all a little bit different because otherwise we'd be just like computers producing the same kind of uh, thing, like a kind of, uh, it would be very, very boring. So gliders, fortunately, still have got some kind of character. Tell us about the Cayenne 6. That's in the C-Class. That's going to be a three-liner, I assume. Yeah, it's a three-liner. And not a high-end C-wing, it's a nice one in the middle of the C-class with really good performance like the KN5 already had. For a C-class, a really good performing wing. We have a new material on this wing, so it's never seen before. It's a triple ripstop thing, so this should make the wing very robust so that it's uh, working for a long time. And uh, we changed the, the risers that you have a, we call it speed control. That means you can fly a three-liner like a two-liner with the uh, handles on the C risers, but also uh, connected to the B1 that you really, when you um, decelerate with your arms, that really the wing just moves in its pitch like this and not deforming the profile as you do when you just pull on the C. This time we use really big pulleys that it's quite easy to use, that you don't need that much power to pull down. I think that's a big advantage when you are used to it, to fly with this kind of steering, especially on speed bar, you can really fly very effective. What also is a big advantage on this, you just, you fly around and you feel on the right side, it's pulling you a little bit more or it's a little bit more uh, bumpy. You just can do this on one side. And this is also a big advantage that you can go fast, but uh, still keep the glider open that you don't get a collapse or stuff like this. By flying himself, the, the handling and stuff like this is quite similar to the old one. It's a little bit yeah, more calm. It's, it's, it's not that sometimes it's not feel like it's not so stressful like the old one. It's a little bit relaxed for the pilot. And this should also be good for every pilot to get the performance out of the wing. Ah, fantastic. So tell me that uh, Cayenne 6, uh, obviously the Cayenne 5 was out for quite a while. Uh, Have you got uh, lots of excitement about it? Of course, now uh, two-liner technology is coming into the C-Class. The Cayenne 6 would be the only glider that you have in the C-Class, if I'm not mistaken. Are you guys confident and um, feeling optimistic about lots of sales of this glider? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are quite optimistic because Cayenne is one of the main sellers for us. We are still keep on uh, the free line concept because for us, it's in the end, it's easier to use. Because especially if you want to top land or stuff like this, or just having fun with the wing. And this is our sport star wing. So just do everything, having fun, going up, make us a little bit of acro, like sat or stuff like this. And for that free liner concept is still in our eyes, the better way to go. And that's why we keep on freeliners, uh, especially on the C-Class. Oh, great. So uh, uh, you you guys, uh, I mean, I don't want to ask you any questions you don't want to ask or that that, that you may not answer, but um, were you considering a two-liner technology in the C-Class? Were you thinking about it? Did you look at it or was it completely out of the question? Mm. No, it's you always have 
to keep your eyes open for sure maybe something will change as also on the XR swing we tried a lot we also have two liner concepts and we we're also working on two liners but in the end it's not that much better performing then on the other hand it's more demanding for your hard to top land or stuff like this especially for for XR swing it's very important that you can fly it every day on every condition launch it everywhere pack it really small don't use the the thick and rigid foils inside so yeah it's always hard to say what is the better way what is 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 is, is the right way and in in our eyes we are keep on with the freeliner concept and it's still working very good for us also the performance is amazing so what we should change and and get some other troubles with the two liner yeah but maybe I mean, a change in the future yeah maybe so I, maybe yeah. I, I don't really say that we are keeping on keep on this for every time so maybe we got some other or finding out some other things that the two liner will work better or easier than the three liner could also happen but yeah at the moment we are happy with the three liner concept no, definitely. I mean, uh, Skywalk seemed to have lots of success. You had a lot of success with uh, Tequila Range, with the uh, Chili Range. Now it's the Cayenne that's really got a big name. Unfortunately, there were little um, speed bumps on the road with the with the joint fall, which uh, you retracted. I'm sure there's right. a new joint fall. I'm sure there's a, a or maybe you're going to call it a joint five. I don't know, but we all like a joint every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Stefan Gruber, I don't like that laugh because for those listeners who don't know, Stefan Gruber and I have got this constant struggle that we have to lick the male part of the body of the one and the other if we lose at a competition against each other. And last year, unfortunately, in Slovenia, Stefan was really, really kind to let me off the hook. He didn't, after his unwashed body of one week uh, was presented to me for licking, he, he, he said, I'm going to let you off this time. So thank you very much, Stefan. Because you are my friend. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't your friend, it would make me lick that part of your body. Yeah, for, for, sure, sure. for sure, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, not it's a gentleman nice. agreement, huh? A few minutes ago, we were talking, guys, about uh, how uh, you have about 40 or 50 active pilots in the valley. There's about 100 pilots who live there. But the concept of um, uh, hike and fly is becoming immensely popular um, in the Zilla Valley although you still have a brand new lift. And I know that the lifts, uh, the gondols and the Zeilbahn going up the mountains there are fantastic. And they actually are very, very little for paragliders. They are much more for skiers and for the winter season. Tell us about the hike and fly. Yeah, I think especially in Europe at the time, in, in the main countries like Austria, Germany, Italy, Swiss, France, like this, where you have the nice mountains, the good infrastructure and a lot of people. The hike and fly is getting bigger and bigger and that's also why every company at the moment try to make more lightweight stuff, especially these pilots, because this is the main thing at the moment. All the flight schools I know, I think 70% of the students are just going there for hike and fly. They don't want to make cross country or stuff like this, they just want to hike up the mountains and fly down that they don't have to walk. And that's the main thing at the moment in the paragliding scene in, in Austria and in the, in the around Austria. Ah, nice. 
I mean, Hike and Fly seems to be so popular. It's ridiculous. It's uh, the equipment getting lighter and lighter and more usable. People doing this kind of crossover, people with even three sets of equipment now. Uh, us three, when we go to a competition, we have these huge packs with us, and that's really not even practical to go up the mountain and to try and fly 300 kilometers with. Uh, that's close to impossible um, for us to take our hike and fly equipment. It would not be comfortable for starters and and secondly, it's definitely not going to work for the performance. You guys are both still on Enzo 3s, is that right, eh? What? You're, you're both still flying an Enzo 3, are you? In the competition? Ah, yeah, in the competition. Yeah, 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 I'm flying Enzo 3, yeah. What's free? Yeah. Enzo 3. Ah, Enzo 3. Yeah. What do you so, I've flown the last four years with uh, Skywalk Ladder, with the Poison. Okay. I'm okay. flying a lot. Excuse and me. yes, the last year I had a, a, a two liner prototype from Skywalk. All right. So you are happy on a prototype. You take your prototype and you fly around with it, testing it, and uh, maybe you give a little bit of feedback to Skywalk? Yes. Uh, I don't fly a lot, I must say, because I have not so much time with the family and everything. So I make, uh, like last year, I've flown. Maybe seven or eight nice flights I done with the glider. Okay, all right. But uh, I can say it's really, really. I like, I like this this glider. So it was really safe and uh, good performance. Really nice to fly. We were talking about having some close calls and some really near misses sometimes. And Stefan was laughing very hard about uh, Valde Tom that he's got lots of them. Tell us about them. Yeah, I don't know what. Where should I begin? Should I tell you everything though? No, I just remembered when I was listening to, to Stefan and Skywalk. I remembered one flight in a World Cup competition, it was 1999, uh, in uh, Granada. I was always a pilot who was pushing uh, really in front. So I, I, I never want to fly on the back somewhere. Or I was always pushing. It was in Granada in the flatlands, and, and it was also a good day for flying. So cloud, as it was based on uh, 3,000, 3, 4, 500 meters up, and I was uh, in a good position. And but I was uh, always in front and, and and alone, a little bit too much in front, I think, at the time. And and I was flying over the flatlands, and I, f- I felt really good. And if you're really high up in Granada, you don't see what is underneath you. It looks just flat. And it was then a uh, the thing was, I was coming in lower and lower and lower, and the thermos, I, I didn't find it, and uh, it was lower, lower, 300 meters, 200, 200 meters, and then I saw, oh, it's not so flat, and there are everywhere big canyons, canyons inside, so sometimes yeah. just 50 meters down, sometimes 200 meters down. It was really a lot of wind down there. It was like 35, 40 k's of wind, and I was flying, and I was uh, thinking, oh, it's, it's, not, it's looking not re- really good for me, and the next week was 10 k's away. I saw it when I was higher up. <laughs> I was looking at that. And then I was really close, like 50 meters over the ground. And I was in over a canyon, a little one, like 50 meters. And I was starting to soar there. I soared and soared and soared. And I thought, yeah, maybe one, one, the last film will bring me up again. But it was not coming. And I was soaring for one minute, which is very long <laughs> at this situation. And I know that, like, 200 meters on the back was a really big canyon. It was going down 200 meters. I saw it when I was higher up. And I thought, yes, I try it now. If I'm lucky, I can fly over this ridge to the other side. And it's a 
much bigger reach and maybe I can soar higher up and maybe there comes a film out of this canyon. And this was my try then and I was 15 meters over the ground and turned into the wind, flow with uh, 70, 80 k's over the ground. I reached this canyon uh, like two meters over the ground and I was flying inside. And uh, yeah, I was flying inside. I was not thinking a lot because I had 200 meters more underneath me. And I was flying inside and then one pop, pop, collapse and then it was no wind. I was flying to the other side. There was no wind for soaring because I was underneath it. And there was also the thermal coming up. So I was uh, flying down this canyon and downstairs on the really end. I was landing, so on the on the side of me was a, a dead something, an animal with a lot of bones and things. And I was looking up, I had uh, so much water in my bottle, and there was 50 degrees downstairs and no wind. And I thought, yeah, perfect. So it was a safe landing and everything. So this was no problem at that time. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I was packing all the things back fast and then come, it was a canyon, it was rocks. So I have to come out of this canyon. I was climbing up, and, and every time when I was... Uh, Put my hand over Freaking me. I was thinking, yeah, I, I now I have a snake or something else in my hand, but I was lucky. It, it doesn't happen. So I was uh, climbing up this this 200 or maybe it was 170 meters. It was high, and my bottle of water was up there then ready. And you know, my my glider with 20 kilos on my back was not. It was not really safe. But I'm a man of the mountains. You see, well, it was okay. But finally, I come up and I thought, yeah, now I can walk. The, the 10 kilometers out of the street to the street. Okay, maybe it was just five kilometers, but it was far. But it was it doesn't happen because it was uh, there was every every time was canyoning, so I have to walk down, walk up, walk down. I had the better ways, and it was really horrible. So it, it take me like four hours to come to the street and then go back with the rivers. And the hand was not working because it was Spain, 1999. And what was your lesson from that? What did you learn about jumping from the 50-meter canyon to the 200-meter canyon? Nothing. <laughs> I think I would do it again because there was a little chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's really crazy what we'll do in competition, eh, guys? Yeah. <laughs> now, Stefan, you are laughing a lot. Uh, tell us about your closest call or your worst experience in paragliding. I... I think yeah, now it's a funny experience, but at this time it was not that funny. It was on XR 2015. Uh, it was near to the goal in Monaco. And I was starting, I think, 30 k's before the sea. And it was not that good conditions. And it was really hard to get the first thermals. And I came up and I first time saw the sea. And I was thinking, yeah, now I am in goal. I can't believe it. And I just go straight to the sea. And then I have to go a little bit to the right, about 4Ks, to, to get to the bail, to the last turn point. And when I was at the front ridge of Monaco, in front of me, the clouds rises up. And I was thinking, okay, shit, now I have to go anywhere because... Uh, when I go in the cloud, they will see me and uh, I get a big, um, I get a discard. So I was thinking, yeah, now I have to do something. And I looked back and I saw, okay, I'm too low to go back because there were a lot of trees and stuff like this. And I looked down and I saw a really nice field just below me. And the clouds are coming. And I'm thinking, perfect. I just spiral down. I was watching on my 
on my GPS, I saw two Ks, and then I run the two Ks into the goal. It's perfect. So I spiral down, land there. Then there were two big dogs. They were shouting me. I was thinking, what the hell, where I am? Big fans, stuff like this. And there was a, a big white tent. And there was a, a whistle from the elephant was looking at me. And I was thinking, what the hell, where I am? There is an elephant. And there was a second one. And there I realized, okay, there are two elephants where I am. And I was not thinking about it, packing my stuff, go to the fence. And then a guy came and the guy was shouting on me in France. And he was all the time shouting. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't speak French, please English. And then he was looking in my eyes and say, bullshit, English. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this was the... The private zoo of the princess of Monaco, and I was landing inside there. And then the big guys, the really big guys, came and take me out of there. And this was really not that nice because the guys were not funny. They hit me, they took all my stuff, my mobile phone, my camera, and then they bring me anywhere and they want to arrest me and stuff like this. And yeah, it was not that funny. At the end, uh, the race comedy came and after two hours talking, bringing me out of this bad situation, yeah, that was really hard. <laughs> I was thinking I have to yeah. be in Monaco for the next 10 years. In a... You know, it depends where you are in Monaco, if it's not so bad or if it's in prison. <laughs> so, um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you reanalyze that situation, you wouldn't have done anything differently. You saw a nice field, uh, the clouds were coming, you had to, for A, safety, and B, for the regulations of the competition, had to land somewhere. You weren't to know it was a private zoo. You were in an important competition, and you had to go down to land. So, would you do it again? Probably yes, eh? Uh, I'm not sure. The guys were really not funny. <laughs> it was really not that nice. <laughs> I tried to find another way, but yeah. What should you do, yeah? But, uh, but I, I know this place now and I never will go there again, for sure. Did you leave? Did you lose some kind of important position in the race? You did make it to the end on that uh, on that race. Um, you've done the yeah. Excel in 2015 and 17. Uh, what happened in that competition because of that? Yeah, the, the race committee told the private policy of the, of the princess that they judged me hard. And so I got the last position of the guys who reached the goal so yeah it it's not i don't care about this because i'm gold i have my takes out in goal so that, that was the goal for me to reach the goal because not many pilots ever saw the goal and uh, so it, yeah i don't care about the position Tell us about the Exopes right now. Do you still think that the Exopes is a, a good competition? Um, I'd like you to speak uh, honestly and properly. I know several Exopes pilots who won't do it anymore who say that it's a really crazy competition. It's nothing I would do, for example, because I, I really feel that that boundary between us making our decisions on a safe and dangerous uh, kind of decision making is, is, is difficult. What's your comment? Yeah, of course. On the one side, Exiles is very important for our sport because everybody knows Exiles. It don't matter if you're a 10 years old boy or an 80 year old uh, grandmother. Everybody, everybody knows it. Everybody is looking at it and it makes paragliding a little bit more popular sport. But for the competitors, it's really hard. So that means not just the, that you have to be fit and you get to be very good prepared, 
everything changes every day and so you never know what happens on the next day and it's also sometimes not really flyable conditions where you came in and it's also not that you are standing on the takeoff and there are bad conditions and you say okay i start because i'm an exiles and uh, you don't i don't care it's sometimes or it happens to me that you have a really nice day you fly 10 hours, the first eight hours, the, the conditions are perfect. The thermal is good, no wind. Then suddenly you got in a different area and a special valley or stuff like this, and then you are in troubles. Yeah, for sure. If you want to go to Exiles and uh, be on this competition, you have to work with situations like this because otherwise it's not the right competition for you. Uh, before I ask Walter uh, Tom what he thinks about the Exalps, I'd, I'd like to ask you one last question about it. Is, uh, Stefan, how would you change the kind of ruling or competition of Exalps if you were in charge? I think for a really good competition, interesting one, it's good to have not that much rules. So keep it as simple as possible. Don't have too many waypoints because if you have everywhere waypoint, everybody follows just the same way keep it a little bit open that you change your roots that some interesting stuff happens keep the rules quite simple don't do that much well that's Tom, what do you say about the exalps if i would be 15 years younger it would it would be a really interesting thing now i i like the competition i like to, to follow it on the on the live tracking but uh, it's really interesting and sometimes if you know they come over the Silla Valley, the first goggles, then it's, it's really, you want to be also with them as a good pilot, but uh, uh, I like I like to look at them, but I don't want, like to walk for me, for myself. I like to make little hiking flies, like four or 500 meters up and then uh, make a nice flight, but I'm not a, a, big, uh, a big runner with the glider. All right, let's change the topic a little bit. I've got two more questions for you guys. The worst glider that you've ever flown and then some top tips to tell anybody. Uh, any kind of tips from basic tips to the advanced ones. Let's start with the worst glider you guys have both flown. Uh, when I asked you a little earlier, Stefan, you were like Heilige Maria. I know all about my worst glider. What was that? It was at the beginning of the two-liners. I know it. And we got a prototype in this time. And it was one of the first ones, and it was really shitty wing. It was not flyable. We don't know this at this time. And we were really looking for it because we were so interested in the two-liner concept and stuff like this. And it was a day where we had a little bit uh, conditions of fern. So not, not that good, nice uh, conditions uh, in Silla Valley. And so we go up. On the, but yeah, we don't care about this that much. We, we thought we go up at the mountain and have a look, and then we will decide if we start or not. And we were up at Penkin, and it was nice conditions. So it was just a little wind from the south, and we are, the other people were flying. And so we think, yeah, it's nice. So we go out. And then we start, and the shitty wing was not able to turn. And every time when you just get a little lift, it was collapsing. After two turns or two making, try to make two turns, I realized it's not possible. 
I just want to go out in the valley and just go down. And then the fern comes <laughs> and, and I just have to fly all the way out of the valley and land anywhere because I was not able to fly against the fern because every time I turn against the fern, I just get big collapses. And yeah, I was really, really happy when I was safe on the ground. That was one of the worst flights I ever had. <laughs> I remember from my student days, those days where you just fly. Wait. <laughs> I see Walter Tom looking at you thinking, wow, if that was serious and you speak like oh, that, yeah, I was just really asking him sometime, something not that I have to, to say. <laughs> <laughs> the same, the same but then it was not the same. Tom, tell yeah. us about your work better. Uh, I must say I'm I'm not a test pilot, so I'm I can try gliders, and if I don't like them, I don't have to fly them. But one time I bought a shit glider because I thought it's a good glider. Maybe you know it's core the swing core free. Oh yes, I owned one of them. And yes, I was trying for uh, one. It was before I, I made my 325 kilometers. Uh, I, I, so I had no no glider before because I was building a house and things, and I had no time of flying, so I didn't have a good glider. And then I had more time, so I wanted to buy a good two liner, and I was trying this glider a few months before, and I saw that I, I buy me then a. This glider because I liked it. It was a, a, a little swing core free and it was flying really good. So I liked it and thought, yeah, if I get a cheap one from the internet, I, I buy one and, uh, and this uh, should be good then. And uh, I get in a really cheap one and new, if it was 1,200 euros, I, I bought it for 1,200 euros and it was really new. So I think this guy never was able to start this glider. And I was uh, getting it up, and I tried it, and yeah, it, it was then so like not much wind, like one k or two k upwind, and I, I thought I, I make you now a, a normal uh, forward start, and I was not starting three times, four times, and then I thought, yeah, I have to start now from the back, and okay, after la long run to the back, it was starting, it was flying, it was nice in the air, it was a little bit for soaring and flat surface, it was okay for flying, so normal conditions. And I land up there again just to try to start it again because I didn't know why it's not startable. I called in also the test pilot, Zulkas Daniel, at that time. What can happen? What can you be with the glider? Why it doesn't start here? You don't know. He starts always just with the back and it starts always good. His glider maybe was a good glider. But my glider was not so good. So uh, it was flying at one time with, with Stefan. I had this glider for five or six, seven flights. And was uh, flying then with this glider, and performance was uh, really bad. The performance of this glider, and it was a light fern, and it was uh, flying like that. And I did one collapse and uh, was uh, hanging, and and I'm losing 300 meters. And I come to the other reach uh, 1,000 meters deeper than him, and, uh, and I thought, yeah, it's it's not a really good glider for 300 for a 300 case flight. I, I try to sell it again. But this was one of my first guys. Yeah, no, I've had a core two which had absolutely no ground handling. You could, uh, you would be really lucky if it started. And then the core three, they made to be able to start a little bit better, but it still wasn't much better. The cores from swing were not their big success, I remember. Yeah, but I think there was a few, well, there was a little bit better, a few gliders. There was a few gliders that worked and, and a lot of gliders it doesn't work. 
I, I do uh, like to see your T-shirt. You're wearing one from Fly2. That's Rainer Kistel's business from so long ago. You're a tandem pilot for them sometimes. You're a tandem pilot for Stocky. And, of course, I'm sure you do your own little flight. Uh, Fly2, what a nice uh, business in Vilchenau. Uh, flying lots of Contiki people. And we were discussing how the tandem uh, business is probably looking pretty bad for this uh, next season. We can pretty much cancel 2020, of course, around the world for any kind of tourist business and especially about tandem business. But, uh, of course, there we've had lots of opportunity to try all sorts of new uh, tandems and try all different ones. I don't know if you remember when I broke all the lines on the on the bike. I remember that. Uh, uh, flying over you. Okay. On that day, okay, that was one I'd also want to have how to destroy a glider, yeah. 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 So give us some top tips, guys. Uh, last question for both of you. Um, if you want to teach anybody some cross-country or some essential starting or some thinking, anything... It's hard for me. For me, it's hard. Maybe Stefan can yeah. have a few... Stefan, one, of the, one of the easiest tips or which where I learned the most is find somebody, like I found Tom or other good pilots and go fly with them and try to follow them look at them what they are doing don't use don't try to use a too high uh, rated wing just use your b wing or whatever that you feel comfortable but you are also able to use speed bar don't be scared to use your speed bar and try to fly with them you can learn that much of everybody else which is flying in a good way that it's just Go with them, the best teaching you can have. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's great. Uh, I think that's, that says a lot uh, to hang on to people who are much more experienced than you. Something I'd like to just give as a reflection to that is don't follow everybody who's flying a high-end glider thinking that they're flying well. Unless you know that person, yeah. don't judge that person. The equipment is fancy, that they are fancy flying. Uh, that's true. Yeah, you want to give a comment on that? Do you think that's true? Uh, a lot of guys are looking really good with their equipment, but not flying so good. Tom? Let me think. Mm-hmm. Yes. I can smell the rubber. Uh, Tom is... I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> Tom, do you have any kind of tip, kind of aspiration or some kind of inspiration for anybody who wants to try and make big triangles or any kind of big cross-country flights? Anything about the Zilla Valley that you'd like to say? Uh for me, that that's kind of things are really hard. <laughs> I can't just say if you want to fl- make long flights, you must make long flights. You just you're not just uh, just to want to do it. It's it's a bit too less. Or also like when I made the, the 325 k flight, the the big challenge at that time was who is the first pilot who flies over 300 FAE triangle. That was uh, since 2008 the big challenge. And I was, these six years from 2008 to 2014, I made any flight because I was, uh, I had no time and I was building a house and, and this kind of things. And I always wanted to be the first who fly the 300k's flight. And I was always looking on the good days in the, I was in the end of the day or on the next morning, I was looking, ah, what the guys, what, what did they flow? What did they fly? And, and I saw, and there was no flight all over the world. Who can fly uh, where the flight uh, where it was able to fly over 300 kilometers because the the turn points was always too too near together so there was no chance and no flight to, to fly over the 300 kilometers I was always happy about that that nobody done it before and then I 
then the year was when I was buying the call free and then uh, I saw that this glider is not working. After that, I bought the, the old glider of Stefan Gruber and so on. It was a really nice glider. And then I, it was, I think, on the, on the first try. So I made a few flights before, little ones. But it was in the first, it was a perfect day for sure. But it was my first try to fly the 300 and I, I, I tried it like that, that it getting a big triangle that it can get 300 kilometers. If I if I put the fir- first turn point on the wrong place, it never can get a 300 kilometers for triangle. So you have to, if you want to make a big flight, you must put the right three points from the first point on in our area here. And then you can make a big triangle. If you make the mistake on the first point, Normally, you you make a nice flight, maybe then, but not not a really long one. So it was really the first try that you uh, took that Enzo one, and you made the three twenty five with it, huh? Yeah, I had a five six flights before to get used to it, but it was also like here in the Silla Valley, our we get not so much good days like in the South Alps. So we get maybe on a really good year, we get maybe four five maximum. Six good days where you can try a long, long flight, so a long flight over two, up to the 300 kilometers. So it's, it's, yeah, it's more or less four or five days in a year where we can try it. And this was the first day this, this year before it was, uh, we had no good days. Tom, do you have any other big goals or some kind of thing that you're dreaming about breaking now or doing next? Yeah, it's, uh, I wanted to, to fly, and so the, the Honorin Hamad was flying then four case more, 229, uh, 329. And I wanted to break this record last year. The Kriegel Maurer flown the 200, uh, 343 case flight. And yeah, if a day, for sure, always, if a day comes and I have time and, and, and the day is good, I always would try it to fly more. It's my and uh, you would do that on your two-liner prototype now. I mean, that must be much, much better than an Enzo one. I'm sure that the glider's performance is going much better. How would that be recognized, or don't you really care? Uh, repeat the question again. If you are going to use the two-liner prototype that you have now to make such a record, would it be counting? Would it be validated? Or uh, yes, don't you? Country. No, no, for course, count, it's no problem. For cross country, it's no problem. Yeah, yeah. I can't okay. fly in a competition with this better, but Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you don't mind. You're quite happy to fly a prototype. I mean, I'm quite happy to fly a prototype, but of course, it's a little bit of a contentious issue with regards to people saying, "Oh, yeah, glider must be homologated. It's got to be, you know, look at this terrible thing that happened in 2011." But don't you think prototypes are a good thing that we can actually have pilots like you and me, Tom, that are going out and trying prototypes? If if you're a good pilot and I was flying a few flights before and I thought this glider is working really good, it's really safe, then there is no problem. If if I make a few flights and I see oh this glider is it's not really ready, it's 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 danger, then uh, you don't want to make on a big day on uh, good thermals. You don't want to go flying with that, but uh, you fly before a few few hours and then you see how oh, this glider is working. That's no problem. Prototype or a certificated glider. If, if you're a good pilot and if you if you see if if a glider is working or not, then uh, I see it also on the core three. This glider is not working. Or on other gliders, I saw yes, these gliders are not working for me. If it's a prototype or not, if if the glider is good for flying, it's good. If it's not good, you don't fly with it. Yeah, definitely. 
Guys, thank you very much. Let's leave it right there. Stefan Gruber working for Skywalk and Walter Tom not working for anybody. It's been really <laughs> nice. <guys. laughs> Any last words you want to say before we say goodbye? Goodbye and don't forget my balls. Oh. <laughs> da Tom, thanks very much. Goodbye and my balls you never will see. <laughs> I like that.